Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger from The Jordan Harbinger Show. And if you want to take your communication skills to the next level, you need to be listening to The Art of Communication Podcast with Greg Rice. Welcome to The Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life, so let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, excited to bring you a really special episode today. I was blessed to be able to sit down with Jordan Harbinger. Jordan is a legend in the podcasting space. He's a creator and host of the Jordan Harbinger Show, which is one of the biggest podcasts on iTunes and was awarded Apple's best and most downloaded new show in 2018. And if you're not listening to it, you really need to be. He talks to some really fascinating people and pulls away really interesting tips that we can all use to live a better life and and accomplish our goals. But we get to talk about a lot of great stuff. Um, We got into what he's learned about communication from living and traveling in many different places around the world, not just vacation spots, right? He's lived in Serbia. He's traveled in North Korea. He spent time in China and Mexico. And we got into what he's learned from um, living in those different cultures and how do you pick up the nuances of the communicating in those cultures very quickly and effectively. We also talked about how he was able to leverage his network to rebuild his career after a major and unexpected setback kind of hit him out of the blue. But he was able to rebuild very quickly because he had dug his well before he needed it, which is a lesson that he's constantly teaching and one that is super valuable to take away. And he shares some great tips about how we can all network more effectively. So this was a ton of fun for me. Jordan is a legend in the podcasting space, and he's truly lived a fascinating life. So this is just a can't miss episode for you guys. Jordan, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Super excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. So you've really lived a fascinating life to date. And one of the things that fascinates me is all the places that you've lived, right? So Mexico, Serbia, North Korea, China, a bunch of places that well, I didn't live in North Korea. I mean, I survived North Korea, if that's what you mean, but I didn't live there. <laughs> close enough, close enough. Yeah. Well, you've been to a lot of areas that a lot of folks would be hesitant to go to. So I'm curious of what drives your passion to go to those places to kind of get us started off. Yeah, you know, I always liked traveling. I guess I grew up in Michigan, so I started to get bored really quickly as as teenagers do anywhere. I, I would imagine you can find teenagers in Manhattan that think it's so lame, right? But there's not a whole lot going on in Michigan, especially in the 90s for guys our age and the teens. I mean, I, I look at all the stuff there is for kids to do now and I'm like, we didn't have any of this, you know? And, and it reminds me of what my parents used to say, like, we used to play stickball in the street, but, you know, nobody <laughs> wanted to do that when I was a kid either. So I started getting in, I wouldn't say getting in trouble, trouble, but I was with other kids that were getting in trouble. And I, I told my parents, I go, mom, dad, I got to get out of here. And they're like, oh, you're bored. Well, work hard in school. And I was like, great. So I got like straight A's or almost straight A's one year. And they were like, they're, I was like, I'm still bored. I got to get out of here. And then they're like, oh, whatever. Every kid's bored. And I was like, Russ got arrested for selling LSD. And they were like, you're getting out of here. So, <laughs> so I, I tried to, you know, I did the exchange student thing. And I was like, this is so amazing. Not the least of which was because I saw this new place and learned a new language. But because I was an exchange student at first, my first sort of travels were to Europe. and. In Europe, 
I, I was 17 when I went there or something like that. And it was like, I remember my host parents, because you have this family that you stay with when you're an exchange student. My, my host parents were like, oh, it's your little brother. His name's Florian. It's like, it's Florian's birthday. We're going to have a party. And I thought, cool, whatever. I'll get him some Legos. He's 15. We'll get a cake. You know, five people will be here, whatever. And my parents go, my host parents go, so we're going to go to the neighbor's house across the street. If you need us, come and, you know, we'll be there. And I was like, well, what are we going to do? And my brother, 15 years old at the time goes, Oh, um, mom's going to buy us like some beer and, you know, maybe like a couple bottles of wine, but not a lot. Cause you know, we don't want too much hard liquor cause people get sick. And then the whole class is going to come over. And I was like the whole class, what are you talking about? And I remember like 60 people coming over to our house, not breaking anything, not stealing anything, drinking at age like 16, having a blast, cleaning up the house and going home. And I was like, what? is going on. Because in America, not only would nobody be drinking, well, at least not where I was from, the house would have been trashed. Somebody yeah. would have gotten a bloody nose. There would have been like, you know, pot joints, put like oregano joints put out in the plot, pot behind the house. Like it would have been a disaster. And I thought, oh, they treat us like adults. So we just act like adults. And then it was like, well, I'm going to go to Italy, Italy with my friends for the weekend on the train. And they were like, okay, have fun. And I thought, I was just mind blown. So then I was like, I'm never going back to the United States to live if I don't have to. Of course I did. I went to college the next year. But I remember going to college and going, oh, well, we're basically adults now. And then nobody could behave because we still had all these rules and we'd been babied our whole lives. And I thought, there's just a superior way to raise kids and it's not what I'm doing in Michigan. It's not what I'm doing here in the United States. Look, I love the United States and I think we do a lot of things right, but treating uh, uh, kids like adults in all the wrong ways and adults like kids <laughs> in all the wrong ways has not worked out well for us. So I, I've traveled a lot and I, I decided to see more. And then I thought, well, Europe isn't the be all end all. Let me go somewhere else. So I went to the Middle East. I ran into some trouble there because I was in Israel during the second intifada and my parents were freaking out and there was violence. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to Mexico. So I went to, first I went to Egypt, then I went to Mexico, uh, went to a city in Mexico that had a lot of drug cartel activity, thought that was kind of cool because I was 18, 19 years old, whatever, <laughs> you know, didn't realize how bad it was going to get. And then went back to school, college at the University of Michigan. Then I was like, oh, I should learn Russian. Learned Russian, went to Ukraine in 2002, got a job at the U.S. Embassy in Panama, worked on my Spanish, then got a, a ACTR Excel fellowship, which is kind of like a Fulbright, but not quite. It's kind of like diet Fulbright. Um, went to Serbia, had a blast there. And then I was just like, you know, there's so much more than going to Chipotle, which I just smashed right now <laughs> going to chipotle and you know slamming budweiser's and like shooting things in a lake which is kind of i'm not trying to belittle the united states like that's what i did as a kid a, a lot of it and i just thought there's so much more to life and i felt almost like i'd been lied to not that my parents really tried to brainwash me at all but i was like there are other things other than working on your car and driving it down the street and blasting music like i did not know that and that really sort of sparked this this thirst in me to just see everything. And I, I thought everybody would be like that, but I can tell you, a lot of my friends in the United States, like all of them, couldn't have cared less. I got back, they were like, how's Germany? Cool, it's like, they have like girls there and like pizza, and I'm like, well, yeah, but, and they were like, cool, you wanna play Nintendo? And I was like, get me on the next flight out of here, you yeah. know? So yeah. I just, I, I realized that I was wired a little differently. Like I kind of already knew it. My parents already knew it, but nobody knew what to do with me. 
because I went to a public school. If you're wired differently, that's your problem. They don't try to they don't try to make it work for you. They just say, well, you better figure out how to get up at 6 a.m. and go to the factory. You know, that's kind of what we were doing. So I knew I was different. I just thought it was a defect. I didn't realize it was something that was going to suit me well later on in life. That's really interesting. And traveling certainly opened my eyes as well as I've been to different countries, just been amazed at how different and diverse the world is. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to get your perspective. When you land in a new place on day one and a very different place than you've been before, which you've done a lot of at a very young mm. age, how do you start to understand the culture and the nuances of communication in that new world? Yeah, it's a good question. You should uh, consider doing a podcast about communication. Um, <laughs> I, dad jokes. I, uh, I, get, I got, my kids hate mine. Yeah. I, my kids won. He doesn't know how bad mine are yet. <laughs> they <laughs> he learn, will, trust me, they he will soon. The fir- so looking back, like I did, a, I used to just do a lot of things wrong and I'm sure that I still do when I got off the plane, but towards more recent trips, what I would start doing is immediately, let's say, start speaking the local language right away. Even if I don't know what's going on, I don't try and be like, oh, sorry, I don't speak Serbian or Russian. I, I Let me try and speak English slowly to everyone while I practice my vocabulary for 20 minutes a day. No. I start talking like a baby. I make my, uh, one of the other things is I make my mistakes out loud. That's like a very important foreign language learning principle. Hmm. What that is, is, do you speak any foreign languages? Like I don't, Spanish I've, or anything? I've never been good at learning foreign languages. Okay. So, so Spanish, you know how it's like, there's L and La, right? There's two genders. Yeah. German as der, die, and das. So if you blur word endings or particles and you sort of slow your speech, native speakers will assume that you got it right because their brain just hears like the correct gender of the noun. But you don't really want to do that. So a lot of people, they'll start that way and they'll get used to that. And they're like, oh, all I have to do is just be like L this and everyone just kind of just doesn't worry about it. You shouldn't do that. You should make your mistakes as loud as you can because then people can correct you. So if you say dare something and it's das something, you want the German person to go, oh, it's das, it's d, whatever. You don't want to just go, slur it all together because then they won't correct you and you'll never learn. So I learned by making your mistakes out loud, it's really the best way to do things. So if you're starting to learn about communication nuances that are maybe nonverbal, you can observe other people, but you can also just make your mistakes out loud. Like maybe you're too wild of a talker or too outgoing for your German friends and neighbors. That's fine. You got to own it and you can get away with it. And as long as you're not being rude and you're just being a little extra, it's fine. But you always want to make sure that you're making your mistakes kind of out loud so that people can correct you. And you can also solicit feedback. You know, if, if I remember my friends in Serbia saying, hey, you're dressed up too nicely and it makes you look stiff. Because the only people that dress nicely here are like organized crime figures and business people and politicians. You're none of those. So stop wearing like button down shirts and chinos. You know, you got to dress more laid back. And I'm like, but I'm a teacher. I want people to respect me. And they were like, people are actually not really with you on the same page. You know, you're like too formal. And I thought that was an interesting takeaway. It's like people respect you, but they respect you at arm's length. If you want to make friends, you have to look like everyone else. It seems kind of obvious now, but it wasn't back then. And I've seen the same thing with learning Mandarin Chinese. Like there's a lot of little nuances where people will be like, uh, we actually don't say it like this. The way you say it sounds like you are of high status and you don't want, you want to, there's this, like Asian status is very complex, right? Yeah. It's like, who does what? Younger people do it this way. Older people could do it that way. And this, that, and the other thing, but they won't necessarily tell you that. 
So you can do something inadvertent that looks a little disrespectful. And so you have to ask constantly, like, am I, should I be doing this? Should I be doing this? But you have to make your mistakes out loud because if you just say, oh, should I do this? Everyone's just going to go, sure, guest of the country, guest in the country, you can do it that way. (laughs) But you have to do it and then go, was that okay? And then they might be like, oh, well, I greatly prefer to do it this other way, which means absolutely it was not okay, (laughs) right? They just don't, they don't use language like that. So you have to sort of read between the lines and check in with people a lot. But as somebody who communicates all the time, I realize that gets exhausting. So I'll do it like once or twice. And then I just kind of rely on being the, especially in countries like Asia, you can get away with a lot because you're clearly not from there. And no matter how well you speak the language, you're still going to be like a white monkey foreigner kind of person who's doing silly things. I say white monkey because they they often will laugh at something that's not funny at all because it just looks funny that I'm using chopsticks, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, they'll bring you a fork. And I'm like, I literally can use chopsticks. If these are noodles, they're easier to eat with a fork. And they're like, no, 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 here's a fork. And they're really proud that they have one fork that's rusting in the back that they've saved for the one time that like a white guy goes into the restaurant. So <laughs> you, you kind of have to get used to that and, and not blending in in some places like that where you stick out. But other places, if you want to blend in, you really do have to read between the lines. And the be- best way to do that is to make your mistakes out loud and then learn your lessons. And now, now tell me a little bit about the doing that in the context of a place like North Korea, where it might be a little bit harder to make your mistakes out loud. Yeah, you, you really can't do much in North Korea because you're with a tour guide the whole time. And you can't really interact with locals ever in that country. So it doesn't matter because the only people that you know that are North Korean are your tour guides and random local guides that are with you for 10 minutes at a time telling you about a museum. You're never going to be like in a restaurant with a bunch of North Koreans and go join them at the bar. Like there's nobody at the restaurants that you go to. There's nobody at the bars that you go to almost all the time. So you really don't have any, there are no mistakes to be made culturally because they simply are not around to see them. You know, you are completely isolated from the local population in North Korea. So you can make them around your tour guide, but they'll never correct you because you're basically just a person who brought money and they have to tolerate you for five days and then you're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no sort of like, you can't email that. You couldn't t- stay in touch if, you, if they wanted to. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, they don't have internet. Got it. So you didn't even have the opportunity to really dive into the culture that way within North Korea. It was just kind of, you're in, yeah. you're out. No, my, my, my most in-depth connection with a North Korean that wasn't just a tour guide. I made good friends with some of the tour guides because I went several times. The most in-depth connection, I would say, with a North Korean person was there's a waitress, there's a couple of waitresses at a, a restaurant that we go to on every tour. And they remembered me and my friend because we went there like three or four times. And one of them chased me down towards the bathroom once and asked if she could use my camera because she didn't have any photos of herself. And she didn't want to do it in front of her friends. I mean, we're talking about a very restrictive regime. So she had to literally pretend like she was going to go to the bathroom and then be like, can I use your camera? I want to take a picture of myself and keep it. Because I had a Polaroid that would print it out. She'd never seen one. Wow. So that was like the only photograph she had of herself that wasn't from school where you're like in black and white and dressed up. So you don't get in-depth, you don't get in-depth exposure to the people of North Korea. In fact, a lot of people tried to be like, oh, well, I'm an experienced backpacker. Watch this. I'm going to go talk to people on the street. And it was 
it would have been comical if it weren't so sad. You know, you'd be walking down the street and there'd be a group of schoolgirls walking this way and then workers walking that same way and you're walking up and you're like, I'm going to talk to them. And they would make a massive wide berth. They would cross the street like you were armed with a machete <laughs> and they would just pretend like they didn't even see you. And there were other times where we'd be walking past people in the subway and we would look at them at their eyes and they would immediately look away from us and look at the ground or the wall. I mean, it was crazy. And if you sit on the subway, they'll everyone will move away from you like you're covered in crap. It's, it's, it's insane. It's, you've never met a, you've never really seen a country that is so allergic. It's like you have the black plague. They just won't get near you. They won't even get near you. They won't look at you. Nothing. Now that's communication challenge for sure. For sure. I would say so. Yeah. But first, have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? I'll tell you, if you're a business owner, you absolutely should be. There's no better way to get your name out there, to grow your network, and really develop a relationship with your customers. I can tell you in the short time that I've been doing this podcast, I've already had conversations with top global influencers, Fortune 500 CEOs, and a host of other really cool people that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to connect with. But you might be thinking, hey, it might be really hard to do a podcast. I don't know where to start, or I just don't have time. But I'll tell you, if you work with my friends at World Class Media, they make it super easy. That's who I worked with. With their done-for-you podcast, literally, all I have to do is just record the episode and they do everything else. From end-to-end, including all editing and production, development of my intro and outro and music, my artwork and website, development of my show notes, and submission of my show to all the major podcasting mediums. They even created my social media cards. And they offer me coaching along the way as well to help me to become a world-class podcaster right out of the gate. So if you've ever considered starting a podcast, you owe it to yourself to talk to world-class media because I tell you it's a lot easier than you think. So just go to gregjrice.com backslash done for you to learn more about the done for you podcast service and to set up a free consultation. All right, let's hop into the show. But to shift topics a little bit, uh, you wrote a blog, blog post recently about the fact that a little while back, right, your life was kind of flipped upside down overnight. And you had yeah. to start over in a way from a podcasting perspective. And you talked about the value of your network in doing that. So I'd love to kind of just hear a little bit about that story because I'm always telling the audience how important building your network is. Sure. So I transitioned from, I used to be a lawyer. I started the show that would become the Jordan Harbinger show or the first podcast, I should say, that I was doing. I ran that business for 11 years. I worked with people that weren't really interested in being successful. They were more interested in like blaming everyone and complaining. And we started to have disintegrating relations as one does when your values are not aligned. And we had eventually had a split that was negotiated and amicable that was then not honored because they decided, well, we're just going to keep everything and then Jordan can sue us, which is exactly what I did. But in the meantime, I started over with the Jordan Harbinger show and I thought it's going to, it took me 11 years to get anywhere with the last show. How am I going to rebuild this show? And within, I would say 10, eight to 10 months, the Jordan Harbinger show was bigger and more profitable than the last (laughs) business that I was in. And it kind of was this huge relief, but also this sort of very facepalm moment because I thought, wow, if I'd left years ago, I would have saved myself a lot of headache and I'd been, I'd have been years ahead, but I was so scared about being left in the cold and having to start over and how am I going to do this? And the way that I did it was I fell back on my network. You know, I, I, I'm a strong proponent of what we call dig the well before you get thirsty, which is build relationships before you need them. And the problem with that is that 
everybody, whenever I say dig the well before you get thirsty, people go, oh, that's really cool. But then they think, but I'm never going to be, I'm never really going to be thirsty. Like I'm never really going to need this. Mm -hmm. That's what everyone thinks. Thankfully, I was walking the walk at that time. And I had built a great network and a lot of relationships. Because the first thing that I did when I had to start over was I had Jen, my wife, schedule like a hundred plus phone calls with people that I knew. And I asked for everything from advice to support, to marketing help, to, hey, can you send my show out to your email list? You know, I'm in, I'm in trouble now. Like there was a lot like that, that was very, very problematic for me. And I needed that help from my network. And I remember thinking, wow, good thing that I dug the well, because I certainly am thirsty. You know, and a lot of people don't really see that coming. They think that that sounds like a cool bumper sticker. Yeah, I'll sort of network, maybe a little half-assed, whatever. They don't really think one day this might be the only thing keeping me from poverty, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. you don't think about it like that. But it really is, your network really is an insurance policy that you couldn't otherwise purchase. You know, you have to, usually you have to insure yourself for something specific, floods, fire, uh, damages of, from an earthquake. You can't just say, I need insurance just in case something goes wrong at some point, right? That doesn't really, there, there isn't really that. So your network can s- sort of be that for you. Oh, you need something? You have an opportunity that you want to find? Go to your network. You've fallen on hard times? Go to your network. You need expertise? Go to your network. And people will often leave this behind and and make it last priority. And the reason they do that is because, you know, we're business owners. We have 700 things to do. I know how to do 699 of them. Networking is a little bit of a black box. Therefore, I, I deprioritize it to the bottom of the list. And that means it never gets done right? It's the, it's, it's just something that never gets any attention. And since you can't make up for lost time when it comes to networking and relationships, what I see a lot in my inbox for Feedback Friday on the Jordan Harbinger show or for inside the, the six minute networking course, which is our free networking class that we have, people will write and they'll go, okay, so I know I'm supposed to dig the well before I get thirsty, but I just got laid off. What do you do if you didn't do anything to dig the well and now you really are thirsty? And I'm like, you start where everyone else starts, which is with the first step, which is calling people, re-engaging weak and dormant ties. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But w- what happens if I like didn't do any of that and I need to really step on it right now? And I'm like, you do exactly what everybody else is doing. And so there's no way to make up for lost time when it comes to relationships. And that's what makes it so, such a problem is it's combined, you combine that, oh, I'll do it later, procrastination temptation, or the fact that a lot of people don't know how to do it with the fact that you can't replace consistency. You have to be consistent over time. And if you're not, you aren't immune to the consequences. You're just being willfully ignorant of the secret game that's being played around you. And that will cause you a lot of problems. You know, you'll find out the hard way you get laid off and you go, oh, now I got to do all that networking stuff. And you go, oh, crap, there's no shortcut. I'm screwed. You know, so it, it just pays to do it earlier because you can do it in 10 minutes a day. And, and it's, it's compounding interest over time. It's, it would be like the person, it'd be like if you're 50 and you go, okay, what happens if I've saved $0 for retirement, but yeah. I still want to retire in 10 years? It's like, the answer is you just don't get to retire or you get to retire and be super poor. Yeah, you know, like sure. that's, th- that's, there's no shortcut. The shortcut is start investing when you're 25, like everyone says, you know, yeah. so it really does compound just like that. And the fact that nobody knows how to do it, I also see that as an opportunity for the folks who do know how to do it. Because when you're reaching out to folks, connecting with them on a regular basis, that's special in a way because everybody's not doing that. So right, a lot of exactly. 
Exactly. So people will say, one of the funniest things I see in my inbox, funny slash sad, people will go, well, I don't really need that. I've heard you talk about it on the Jordan Harbinger show, but I don't really need the six minute networking stuff because I'm kind of a natural networker. And I'm like, really? Because I just taught this to uh, some MI6 agents or something like that, or a sales team at Google. And those are probably some of the best connectors in the world. And they didn't know any of this stuff. But tell me more. Uh, preschool, you know, high school gym teacher about how you're a natural networker. And look, no shade on those people, but it's delusional to think that you do this stuff naturally. It's just, it's nobody has these systems in place unless you are a professional salesperson. And what I found is that professional salespeople will often go, Hey, I knew some of this, but the way you systemize this, 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 and this, wow, that made the, that made it all worth it. I'm so glad I saw this. I find that the professionals who really rely on networking to either save their lives because they're an intelligence agent or, you know, to save their business because they're a salesperson, they get a lot from it. But it's people who are just like, oh, I'm good at this stuff already. I'm like, oh gosh, that is a major red flag that you are actually so, you're so unconsciously incompetent that you don't really know what you're even, like you don't even know what you don't know. And that's dangerous. That's a dangerous place to willfully remain. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll say for the audience, a six minute networking has a ton of value in it. So you definitely want to go check that out. I went through the course recently and there's just a ton of valuable stuff in there and it's given so, in such a digestible way. I certainly appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you find value in it. The reason it's free is because I know that if I'm even like, it's 20 bucks, people are like, ah, oh, it's a money making scheme for you. It's like, if I give it away for free, people might actually do it, mm -hmm. um, get into it and do it. And then it usually comes back and reflects positively on the Jordan Harbinger show as a show or me as a teacher or a person. And that's important because if, I, if everybody who goes through it uses it, creates and maintains a great big network, and they're also kind of tangentially part of my own network because they found that course through me, then I'm actually able to grow my own network exponentially far and wide because 30,000 students have gone through six minute networking and have theoretically used it to some effect. So if I ever need anything, I can reach out to those students as well. And they'll go, Oh, well, thankfully through that course, I was able to get a job and build all these other connections. So it's kind of like, there's a compounding effect there too, for everybody that's involved with it. And we get emails all the time, like, Oh, thank God I did this. Cause I got laid off during coronavirus and now I found another job or I negotiated a salary because of this, that, and the other thing. This stuff is really, really important. And if you think you don't need it, again, I will say that you are not immune to the consequences of not having a great network. You're just being willfully ignorant of what successful people are doing. And you will wake up one day where the person you hired four years ago is your boss and go, what happened? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Now, one other thing really struck me in your article, and you talked a little bit about vulnerability, right? And how it helped you maybe even understand the relationships that you did have at a deeper level. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Sure. Vulnerability. I think vulnerability is a big topic, but what I mean when I talk about vulnerability in those articles is I think there's a lot, there's like a almost plague of people trying to impress each other, not wanting to showcase where they're weak, what they might need, how they're trying to improve. Cause it's all like, Oh, that's my competitive advantage. Oh, I don't want people to know that I'm doing this or that I'm not great at that yet. That's problematic when it, from a networking communication perspective, because if I'm not, if I'm wearing my needs on my sleeve, yeah, I might not look like super cool alpha male tough guy, which is popular. That's sort of trending up in the entrepreneur scene these days is that sort of bro crap. But if I am sort of saying, 
oh, well, you know, I'm, if I'm telling everyone, well, I'm a beginner at this, you're going to find that your network wants to support you, give you resources, give you feedback, help you out with that. You can only get that through authentic vulnerability. And, you know, developing real connections with people on a one-to-one level, you can't do it if you're trying to pretend that your life is perfect, that you're perfect, and that everything that's going on with you is perfect. You really do connect with people usually based on, oh, you just got laid off. You can't go, well, it sucks to be you, bro. You, what you do is you go, oh, I remember when that happened to me and I felt lost, alone. It was horrifying. I felt like my value was lower. You're going to find somebody goes, really? That happened to you as well? Oh my gosh, that makes me feel a lot better. What about this? How long did it take you to recover? Did you still feel this way? Did it affect your marriage? That's how people really connect. Nobody can really identify with the person who's never had any problems right? One, we know you're lying and disingenuous. And two, it just means that you're probably not willing to help me with my own stuff because you're not even willing to address your own issues. So why would I want somebody like that in my orbit, let alone close to me? So we want to be vulnerable with the people in our lives in a way that is helpful for them and instructional. It doesn't mean you have to go around whining about everything that's wrong in your life 24-7, but what it should do is point the right way for for you to connect with other people in your life and, and generate closer relationships. The reason we have close friends and family is because they know all of our imperfections and all the things that we've been through. So I, I say lean into that. Don't try and sweep it under the rug. Yeah, and I'd vouch for that as well. I can tell you some of the closest business relationships that I have have come from moments of me sharing things that I didn't share with anybody else, you know, sharing that weakness or sharing that thing I did that I was a kid I'm embarrassed about or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. That's what really builds those true. And they're always like, oh, yeah, I did this, you know, which was unexpected. And then you start to build that relationship. And there's just a ton of value there. So a couple more questions that I like to ask everybody who I have on the show. First one is I really believe in the power of conversations to be able to change your life. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to ask my guests if there's a conversation you can point to that had a meaningful impact on the direction that you ended up taking. Hmm. Yeah, I think... Early on in the reinvention of the Jordan Harbinger show, I talked to a lot of folks that were like, you need live courses or you know, live events and courses and you need this and that and you need to have an email marketing wing and you need to be doing social and you need to be on TikTok and Facebook. And I, and I was just like, you know, I think I'm just going to do the podcast where I read books and talk to smart people. <laughs> and I called the former COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK and I was like, what do you think of this? Am I just what am I doing? And he's like, you're going to be a lot happier doing that thing that you want to be doing and really doubling down on that than you are, let's say, becoming the next sort of internet marketer or guru bro. And I was like, thank God, right? So I talked to a lot of folks like that, but that that conversation was meaningful because it really gave me permission from somebody who was actually successful, not somebody pretending to be successful on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, you can actually just do this, generate revenue and you'll be solid. You'll be good to go. You'll be fine. And that to me is important because I noticed that a lot of the people who preach business online haven't really done much. They're either faking it or they have like some business teaching other people how to pretend to be business people. It's sort of the influencer racket. If you talk to people who've actually built real businesses, they're probably not going to tell you to do a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense for you, that you despise doing, that isn't necessarily ethical a lot of the time. You know, they're not going to point you in that direction. Because people that are actually happy and fulfilled, they focus on the things that they really enjoy and that they br- that bring them that success and that fulfillment. It doesn't mean that you're going to enjoy every single element of your business as much as you enjoy the core elements of your business, but it does. there's a lot of wisdom in not starting a business that you already know you're going to hate just because it might be more lucrative. I've seen people do that all the time, and they're frankly usually quite miserable, as wealthy it, as they might be. 
And, you know, I've wondered that about you before because you have the six minute networking course and, you know, I, I completely expected to get hit with a, well, you know, invest in this other thing after that. Yeah. Um, and there's none of that, right? It's just nope. a podcast, the free course. And it, it's tremendous from my perspective because I'm not getting hit with a bunch of stuff. But yeah. I was really surprised to not get hit with a bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's no upsells. And people are like, oh, you're missing an opportunity. I'm like, yeah, but if I have something awesome in the future... I will mail it out to that list. I'll put it in the course as, as a little upsell, but I'm not going to then make the course crappier so that you have to pay for it, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of people do. I'm like, look, I want to make my free stuff better than most people's paid stuff. And so far, I think we've achieved that. So why would I change that now for an extra few grand a year? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, legacy, in, for, in my opinion, for things like this, legacy is greater than currency. I want people to remember me as like, wow, that guy really taught us a lot. He did a lot. Not, oh yeah, that guy had a great sales funnel. Nobody says that, right? Nobody, nobody says things like that. And if they do, it's because you're in federal prison for tax evasion and everyone's like, oh, well, sales funnel was pretty good. Too bad he didn't pay taxes. Too bad he sent a bunch of scam, scam ads to people on YouTube, you know, about his Lamborghinis or whatever. Like those guys are not beloved. They're dipshits. Nobody wants to be like those guys. Nobody over the age of 18 wants to be like those guys. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Okay, last question for you. Who is the best communicator that you know, either know of or know personally? And why do you say that about them? Hmm, probably someone like my mom. I mean, she was a speech therapist. She was a special education teacher. So she had a lot, a wide variety of experiences communicating with a ton of different people. And she could really explain things to you clearly and patiently, which is something that I wish I could do. I'm sure there's a lot of great communicators out there, but it's usually not those people that everyone thinks of. Like everyone was going to be like, Tony Robbins. It's like, no, no, no. Being persuasive or again, having a great sales funnel is not the same thing as having empathy, being able to instruct well, being able to communicate with people in a style and in method that they'll understand. I mean, that's, that's real work. That's real talent. That's real vulnerability. That's real care. Uh, it's hard to fake that. It's really hard to fake that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that if you, if you don't have the luck to meet my mom, you know, like no problem, there's a lot of people like that, but there's definitely something special for somebody who's patient and vulnerable and, and cares enough to, to spend the time. You can be that person for your own kids. Uh, and we should probably all strive to be a little bit more like that. Yeah, I uh, couldn't agree more. And you're not going to find that person on Instagram, probably. No, they're not going to find anybody <laughs> like that on Instagram. <laughs> so last, last question. Where can folks find you? Where can they find out more about the Jordan Harbinger Show and the 6-Minute Networking? Sure. So the Jordan Harbinger Show, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, the 6-Minute Networking course is at jordanharbinger.com slash course. And I'm at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, other places where poor communication takes place. <laughs> cool. And again, I recommend the course. It's, it's really great stuff. And the fact that it's free just makes it that much better. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for your time today. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.